The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Our God is a good God, and our identity comes because He loves us, and our identity comes in receiving that love from Him. And I think that's especially important for us to think about as today's message is talking about learning to serve with our gifts. And so knowing that our Father is good and that our identity comes in His love uh, should shape the way that we want to discover our gifts and use them for His glory. The passage we're going to be looking at today is 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles now to find that passage. And as you're looking for it, I just want to share a, a little story with you. It's a personal story. Two weeks ago, I went on my first cruise, and I had a fabulous time with great friends. We went from Key West, or from Tampa to Key West to Cozumel, and back to Tampa. And it was a good experience. It's great to travel with friends. It's great to see beautiful places. Hopefully, they make you in awe of God. I want to tell you one story, though. On the day that we went from Cozumel to Tampa, it was a full day on the ocean. So there's no land around. You just kind of have a day on the ship. And uh, so different parts in the day, I would just find my private time with God. And that would either be reading my Bible or reading a book, getting a cup of coffee, and then just enjoying that intimacy with God. And that was on the third floor. And uh, I decided to walk all the way up to the 12th floor. Buffet was on the 11th floor, so there's always motivation that way. But walked up the stairs to the 12th floor, and I looked over the railing, and I looked down, and in the water, I see five dolphins swimming right underneath me. And all of a sudden, and it twists down down. And then, of course, the boat is moving, and so I'm looking this way as the dolphins are going, and I look at the wake of the boat, and as far as my eye can see, I stopped count at 15. And I just looked, and I said, God, are you ever amazing? Who, who goes out here? You did this for you. You enjoy this beauty. You created everything to sing your praises. Just You're so amazing. I love you, God. And then the beautiful, loving voice of God prompts the heart and says, So, Doug, I hope you know that when people look at your life, I want them to praise me in a similar fashion. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. They don't. Man, do we have such a privilege to have an intimate relationship with God who wants him, us to glorify him because that's where everything good is. That's where life comes from. He's not at all selfish. He's only giving. He's only good. And so today when you think about learning our gifts as a church family, as individuals, know that it's from a God who gives because he's gracious, he loves you, and he wants to have you as his children, as his family, as his bride. He wants us to be that. And with that, let's stand and read 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11 together. Or I'll read them and follow along with me. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And say amen with me, please. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What beautiful truth. So as we think about learning to serve with our gifts, we're going to be reading this passage with that lens. Just so you know, we're, we're, going to, we're thinking about how are we learning to use our gifts and we're approaching this passage with that question on our heart. So with that in mind, the first part of the verse says, verse 7 says, the end of all things is near. Now this is not, like don't think of a, a, you know, the crazy fan with a sign and says, end is near, doom and gloom. It's not that at all. This is really positive stuff. This is Christ coming again. This has to be our hope day in and day out. We've been learning in the Agents of Apocalypse series, one of the things they said is, you know what, there are far more references to the second coming of Christ than the first coming of Christ. So we should have that on our mind. It should motivate us how we live and why we live. Because Christ is coming again. And his coming is near. Really? Really? Wasn't it 2,000 years ago already? Is that near? Well, we need to understand that when we hear this phrase, that it's talking about redemptive history. We're talking about Jesus, having, God having a plan for fallen people to come back into relationship with him. So right now, all the special revelation that we need to know with the coming of Christ and the giving of his Holy Spirit, that is the end of the special revelation until, boom, Christ comes again. And that's why it's near. That's the last thing to happen in special revelation. If you hear anybody else adding stuff in, don't listen to him. Run away. The next big thing on the church calendar is Christ is coming again. And we want to be ready because we want to welcome him. Our lives are his. When he comes, we want to be ready so that we can joyfully say, Lord, here we are. We're ready for you forever. And we've done all we can to share your goodness with the people that we come in contact with day in, day out. This is the season of grace. When Christ comes, it's a season of judgment. So right now, we have the responsibility to express God's grace as often and as many ways as we can so people can come to know him before they don't have an opportunity anymore, whether they die or whether Christ comes again. That needs to be our motive. Is that a good reason to know what your gifts are? I hope so. The Bible, I think, tells us that's why. You keep that in sight. And the proof of our faith is not just hope that this is going to happen, but a hope that makes a difference today. Believing this has to change how I live today. If it doesn't, it's just an idea, and it's really not worth much at all. So why do we want to learn to use our gifts? Well, we need to have a proper motive, and a good part of that motive is knowing that Christ is coming again, and we want to be ready, and we want others to be ready as well. The verse goes on to say, Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray. We need to be clear-minded. That means that we need to understand truth. We need to be people who are saturated in the Word of God so that when we hear lies all around us, we can hear the still, small voice of God because His truth has been instilled in our heart and the Holy Spirit brings that to mind and not just the verse, but He, he shows us how we can live that out appropriately in the context we live in. So we need to be clear-minded and we need to be self-controlled. We can't be people who do what's right in our own eyes. We have to be people who do what God says is right. 
And we have to give our bodies as living sacrifices, as we heard in Romans 12. Let my body be, that sacrifice, be my spiritual act of worship, so that you can pray. In the New Testament, when we hear about prayer, of course, prayer is our sharing things with the Lord, but it also implies a dialogue that when you talk, that you're also ready to listen. I'd say that in the New Testament, this might not be said as a, as a prayer, per se, but I think it's a good way to pray for us. This is First Samuel. Samuel is hearing the voice of God, but he doesn't know who it is, and he's given the advice that next time you hear it, just say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I suggest... That would be a good way to start your time with God. It's wonderful to have lists and things that we need to pray for, but I don't think that should be the paramount thing. I think the first thing is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Jesus went on to the mountaintop. I don't know how he prayed, but I'm pretty sure most of that time he was listening to his father. Because he said in James 5, all throughout the book of John, many times he says, I only do what my father tells me to do. I only say what my father has said to me. If you want to know what your gift is and how to serve God, you need to get your instructions from him and not just ask him to bless what you think you'd like to do. So the first thing we need to do is be a, a church who learns to really listen to God. So if you want to know your gift to discover them, we must be disciplined in learning to listen to God. I'd suggest one way you can become disciplined is start getting rid of distractions in your life. We all have them. It's very hard to have a sane moment where there's not something beeping or going on. Get rid of distractions, at least for a portion of your day, so that you can listen to God. If you don't do that, you're not going to hear much, because God doesn't speak to you in sound bites, and he speaks very quietly, because he deserves to be heard. He doesn't have to yell at us. So get rid of distractions. Well, if you pray, I can tell you one of the things God's going to lead you to is love, to show love to people. The next thing is that we need to, to learn and to be loved intensely. If you want to know what your gift is, this has to be a part of our life, is that we're investing in others as they invest in us. Some of us probably find it easier to love others than to be loved ourselves. So wherever your area of growth is, surrender that to God and say, Lord, I want to know more about this. And in this, I also want to know more about my gift. Because when I love others, I use my gift. But I also need to allow other people to use their gifts to love me and also grow in my appreciation of who you are because I see you in their life. So the verse here, verse 8, says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. The word deeply here has the connotation of, of constantly as well. It's not just a depth of love, it's also a duration of love. It's, it's a dedication of love. As a church family, we need to love each other deeply and with dedication. And in that, we will learn more and more about the love of God and the gracious gifts he gives us. And how do we know this is important? Well, because right here it says that, I'll just kind of highlight it, it says, above all, above all, love deeply. God's gifts, gifts are given to us in love, and they're meant to express love. So loving others has to be our focus. So let's make it that. We need more time with each other than on Sunday mornings or programming. Call each other, go out for coffee, do things that build relationship because the Bible says the world will know we're Christians by our love for one another. When you get together, sometimes talk about how do you think God might use us to help others know him? Even praying for your friends who don't know Christ or serving people, just going and serving together anywhere, 
doing that together is an expression of love, and we need to be doing that more and more often because love is not self-seeking. Love is focused on helping others, giving to others. If you want to know what your gift is, you're gonna, we're all going to have to grow in our love and our receiving of love. Hear that too, in your receiving of love. That sometimes takes more vulnerability than giving love. The verse goes on to say, offer hospitality to one another, because love is, only love is, there's an action to it as well. And hospitality has often been thought of one of the hallmarks of Christian faith. And um, we give hospitality to others because we've received hospitality from God. The word hospitality is actually a compound word. The first part actually comes from the word that means love, and the second part means a guest in someone's home. So loving people in your home. So we need to show that it's more than going out for coffee or going out for dinner. It's inviting people into your home. I wouldn't share this story here if my friends were here right now, but tonight we're having our family meal and equipping seminars, talking about caring for vulnerable children and their families. Uh, Debbie Hopkins will be sharing, and two of my friends, Harold and Wendy, are coming. One of the things I love about them and their marriage is how humbly they serve the Lord. And I'm saying this because they're coming tonight. They don't know I'm saying this part. But one of the things, all throughout their marriage, they're talking. And just like nothing, they, they don't say it as a whole big thing. They just say, oh, yeah, like so-and-so is leaving our house today. The other people are coming tomorrow. They often have individuals, families living in their house just from our city, not from a church necessarily at all, just people who need help. And they're living with their two kids. And sometimes it's been months. And they just, yeah, that's just part of our life. <laughs> that's humbling for me. And then in, when you think about it in the church, you think about what does hospitality mean? It meant the preachers were walking around going to different towns. Well, have the preacher in your home for a day, a week, a month. Or where did the churches meet? They, meet in, they met in people's houses. So do that. Have people in your house and worship God together. But you can imagine that could get on your nerves. If you had me in your house for a month, you wouldn't want me there. So that's why Jesus says, don't grumble when Doug comes over. It says, do it without grumbling or complaining. A quote I read, I found, it was, uh, grumbling will never allow God's glory to shine through. We take away from the midst of doing something kind when we grumble about it, the blessing's already gone. So, so don't grumble when you serve with hospitality. So now we get on to the idea that it's important for us to learn how God has gifted each of us uniquely because that's part of the picture of the church, is that each of us has a part to play for the body of Christ to be healthy. Verse 10 says, Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I know by stats that the majority of people, Christian people, don't know what their gifts are, and so they don't know how to use them. And I know there's probably some of you in this room right now who think, I don't believe God has given me a gift because I'm not really aware of it. You need to know you're wrong. It's important for you to know that. You're wrong because Scripture says that God has given you something to use for the blessing of others, for his grace to be shown. And you need to know that your pastors here and the leadership in this church that we're growing in the awareness of our gifts and we want to grow along with you. We want to help you grow in your gifts. So let's make that an aim. Let's do that together and glorify God together. Um, I remember Terry said in his message, uh, I think you said when you were younger, there wasn't really someone who kind of journeyed with you. 
I didn't have that either. I went to a year of Bible school or six months of Bible school at Cape Henry. I remember hearing about spiritual gifts. I'd been in church all my life, but I hadn't read my Bible a lot yet. And uh, shortly after I came home, my mom gave me this book. Uh, it was called Discover Your God-Given Gifts. Looked at the gifts mentioned in Romans 12. Talked about them being motivational gifts. And it was my first understanding that, hey, maybe there's something God gave me and I'm responsible to find out. So this is, I'm just sharing you what, how my life has kind of progressed. And in this book, it, it mentioned 20 characteristics of each gift. It also mentioned five typical problems of each gift, which was really actually almost more helpful for me to figure out what my gift was. And then it also gave some biblical examples. So if you turn over the page that's in the bulletin, you're going to see a summary of how these authors describe those gifts. And so they use the terms being a perceiver, a server, a teacher, an exhorter, a giver, an administrator, and the gift of compassion. And so uh, as you go, as I went through this survey, and again, it had 20 different items that kind of said your strengths in that, I came across strongly again and again that my primary gift, at least at that time, and I think throughout my life, has been an exhorter. And that's someone, as it says here, encourages personal growth and progress. Uh, under, this, under the characteristics, it was a person who has the gift of exhorting just wants other people to live victoriously in Christ. That's a big part of my heartbeat. I just want to see other people grow in their love of God and serve him with all their being. Now, the humbling part is the weaknesses, and uh, this is true of me if any of you uh, have known me for a while. It's uh, that sometimes I tend to interrupt people because I have an opinion or advice to give. And uh, so that's a problem. And I recognize that. I recognize that 20 years ago. Imagine me 20 years ago. Read a proverb that says, only a fool speaks before he listens. That verse always comes into my mind. It usually comes into my mind as I'm speaking before I listen. And I say, oh, Lord, when am I going to get it right? So be patient with me. Uh, biblical character is Barnabas, the sons of encouragement. And so... Anyways, reading through this book, you can see how it was helpful for me because it wasn't just looking at the list of gifts. It started helping you to think more holistically of Scripture to find out how you're gifted. So um, there are four major passages where you can learn about your gifts, and I'd say it's worthwhile studying. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. I've put this diagram on, your, uh, on the back of that sheet as well. But please, please don't just start reading these lists and say that's how you're going to learn your gifts. It mentions a few. It's not exhaustive, but you're not going to learn about them by reading those verses over and over again. Get the whole counsel of God in your heart. Listen to God, and he will lead you in your experiences, and you will start discovering what your, what your gifts are. But, but do study. Uh, with that said, some of you are going through uh, the book called Leadership, and part of that, there was a spiritual gift inventory that you could go through. We've made that available to any of you online. You could go to our website. You'll be able to click on it some, at some point this week. And it's a spreadsheet that has just a few questions that would help you kind of get an inkling about which gifts may be yours or not. But don't, that's not the be-all, end-all. That's a start, right? So do that. The other thing you could do is any of us as pastors, leaders, if you said, you know what, I'd like to sit down and talk with someone about my gifts, please come and let us know. If there's enough of you who say, you know what, I really want to discover more about the types of spiritual gifts. Let us know, because if we hear that from you, I will do my best to prepare a one- or two-day session where we can get together and dig deeply into that. So if that's on your heart, let us know. So study. That's important. The other part is serve. Now the verse says here, each of you should, 
uh, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. It implies that you already know what your gift is, so serve others with it. But man, if you don't know what your gift is, where are you going to start? Serve. Just find opportunities. Look around and say, I'm not sure if this is my gift or not, but in what ways can I serve in our church? What kind of Christian organizations are there that I can serve with in our city? Who is there that I respect that might allow me to come alongside them? So what you need to do, and this is just my opinion to you, just take it as that, is explore. You need to explore a little bit to find out, because maybe there's some things you've never really even thought about. So explore a little bit about different ways that God uses people to have his grace shown. So wherever you see grace at work, someone is being a venue of God's person, ask them about it. Inquire. Explore. But eventually exploring is not enough. You've got to engage. You've got to make some sort of a commitment and serve. And you might find out it's not your gift. Well, big deal. You found out it's not your gift. That's great. One off the list. Let's go off to the rest. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. You can't just dabble to find out if something's a gift of yours or not. I made a mistake in my 20s. I said yes to way too many things, and integrity is huge to me, so I've made sure I did all my obligations. But I learned you have to be careful what you say yes to and no to, because God says when you say yes, you follow through. So make commitments that are reasonable to help you discover what a gift might be. Don't go in somewhere and say, I'll make a two-year commitment to this and have no clue if that's where God has gifted you or where it's even wise for you to spend your time. My advice, that's all I'm saying. Next part is entrust. If you want to learn if you have a spiritual gift, you have to entrust yourself to God in the use of it. Every person has a gift. God has gifted everybody, believer, non-believer. I see mercy all around me that is no less a gift of God, but it's a natural gift. It's not infused with the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know if you have a spiritual gift, you need to be sure that as you're using a gift, you're entrusting yourself to God, and you're saying, God, use me. Whatever way you want, I'm yours. Be mindful that you're a vessel of God's grace in that moment, or at least you're trying to discern, too, if, you, if he's going to give you a spiritual gift that way. Please let me say, whether a gift is natural or, or supernatural, a spiritual gift, they're no less from God. They're no less valuable. So you, we, we serve, we give to God. But if you want to know if it's a spiritual gift, entrust yourself to God specifically. And I'd say that's going to involve taking a reasonable risk. You're going to have to look at things, and sometimes if you want to find out if something's a gift, you're going to have to take a risk. And if you don't take a risk, you're not going to find out. If that's mercy, he might take you to places where there's real mercy needed, and you're scared to go there. I'm going to just give you an example from my life of how I found out about one gift. And, and one of my friends, this is a number of years ago, her, her back was just out. She couldn't get out of the apartment very often. She was lying on the floor when a number of us would come and pray for her. For years, friends prayed for her, that she would be healed. And I remember one time in specific, we were at their house, and I just felt prompted to go put my hand on her back and say, Lord, please heal her now. That was my act of obedience to do that. And that, that actually scared me in my spirit. And I went and I said, Lord, we love her. We just ask that you heal her and heal her now. She wasn't healed. I don't have the gift of healing. That prayer was no less important, no less effective. God was asking me to be faithful in that moment to do what was on my heart. And I know he was honored in that. And I know my friend was honored in that. So when you explore, be humble enough and trusting enough to take some risks. Another thing we need to do is surrender. 
And again, as a devotional thought, I'm taking it out of this verse, focusing on the phrase, as faithful stewards. The gift you have is not yours, right? It's a gift that God has given you. It's from him. Uh, We owe everything to him. So we're not using things primarily for our benefit. We're doing things to glorify God and to love others. Our fulfillment comes almost as a byproduct of that. When you look at yourself as a source of fulfillment, it always runs short. So I need to surrender. If I'm going to be, if my spiritual gift is meant to be an avenue of grace, I have to humbly say, Lord, what in my life right now is keeping your grace from flowing? I can guarantee you it's going to be a habitual sin. There's going to be something in your life that you continually say yes to that you know you should be saying no to. And you can try in all your strength again and again to say no to it. And there's nothing wrong with resisting, but at one place it really has to be, Lord, I surrender to you. And I want to learn more and more to surrender so that I, I surrender before I sin, not always after. Learn to surrender and to trust. If you want to know what your gift is, that has to happen because grace needs to flow freely. And finally, I'd say solicit feedback. And I'm taking this because grace is being shown and it's being shown to others, right? So you want to find out, when I'm doing this, what's your experience of that? Now that might be awkward. You're not going to ask everybody about that. Hopefully it happens naturally in time as we learn to love each other more, that we just encourage each other. We don't puff each other up. We don't say words of flattery, but we say words of encouragement that allow people to know that when you do this, I see Christ more clearly. Really? Maybe that's my gift. You know, I was 19, 20 when I had people starting to come to me and just say, Doug, you should be a pastor. Doug, you should be a pastor. I'll tell you, that shaped a lot of my choices. I still went to train to be a teacher, singing of going overseas, but all along the way, I heard this over and over again. So we need to be in loving community, speaking words of grace and truth to each other, not to build each other up in a, in a pretentious way, but to honor God by saying, I see Christ in you when you do this. And you might be surprised in how that comes through in your life. You might not even be aware of it. So if God is working in us, if it's a spiritual gift, it will be God's grace if he's working in and through you. It won't just be your own effort. There will be something spiritual, something actually supernatural. I'm not saying sensational. I'm saying supernatural. The Holy Spirit is doing something through your life to show grace to others. And we get this from the next part of the verses. Verse 11 goes on to say, If anyone speaks, he should do it. How? As one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it. How? With all the strength that God provides. Now, this is not at all saying that someone can add new revelation that's not already in the Bible. Please, that's not that. But when you're speaking, that you're so finely tuned aware that you've had the Word of God implanted in you, and the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, and you're able to share it at the right time in the right way. That's often what a gift of speaking would be. And other people, when you serve, that, you know what, you just seem to have this abnormal ability to do something. You might just be dead tired at the end of the day. But when you're serving, God empowers you in a way that you don't even know you have strength for. Your part is to just get up to the plate. You might say, I'm so tired, there's no way I can do this. And you're going to find out, well, then you're not ever going to find out what God's power is because he doesn't need you when you're all strung up on caffeine. He wants you when you're saying, Lord, I need you or nothing's going to happen here. 
This phrase has been in my heart for a long time. I have nothing of eternal worth to give others unless I give them what God has given me. I can prepare this message and I can prepare a good sermon and not really think about God all that much and just teach the Bible. And it could be a good sermon. I'd hope people would still be blessed by it. I'd totally miss out on my relationship with the Lord. Between he and I, there wouldn't be much honor in that. Again, he could use it however he wishes. But whatever we give to people, it has to be saying, Lord, I know this is what you've given me, and that's why I can have peace in the outcome. Because if I live my life on outcomes, that's a really bad way to live. I live my life for the praise of my Father. And we need to encourage each other to do that. As we get to the end here, I just want to encourage you that Paul's the primary person who talks about spiritual gifts, right? So we look in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and he has lists of gifts. Peter does not have a list. He talks about two categories. And so the first category he talks about is speaking. If anyone speaks, he should do it as though speaking the very words of God. I found this diagram from Charles Swindoll's book, Spiritual Gifts, and uh, he just kind of has this as the foundation. There are certain gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelism, preachers, teachers. These are what are called the speaking gifts. If you're going through the leadership study, this, these would be the sections that would be called the equipping gifts. Equipping in scripture is about getting people prepared to live out the word of God, to live in the Holy Spirit. It's always pointing people to Christ. That's what equipping in the Bible is, helping people live for God. So those are the speaking gifts. And then Peter says there's also a category where it's service gifts. And the speaking gifts are helping prepare people. They're helping prepare them for works of service, building up the body of Christ for works of service. So we've got our serving gifts, and they work together. Now, you're probably not just one or the other. You might have a smattering of both. We're all called to speak words of God. We're all called to serve. But your spiritual gift if you, I don't know what your gifts are yet, right? But you might have one in each category or whatever. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that you use them faithfully and to know that it all works together. I want to share a picture with you from the Bible because that's the best place to get pictures from. Acts 6 talks about this conundrum that was happening. And there's Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews and there's widows who aren't being cared for and it's a chaotic time and the people who should be teaching are, are serving more and it gets to the point where there's a conversation and in Acts 6 verse 2 I believe it says uh, the apostles are saying it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now they are not saying this as a demeaning statement. You guys serve the tables. We're going to preach the word of God. They're just saying, no, we know that we have an, uh, a gift that we're entrusted to use. We need to use it. So it says, call seven godly men, men full of wisdom and men full of the Holy Spirit to serve the tables. Okay, so that's the scene we have. Next phrase says, so the word of God spread. Now you'd think that the next story would be about the preachers going out. But it's not about the preachers going out. It's actually about Stephen. It's actually about Stephen serving faithfully. It's actually about him doing miraculous things and people looking at him. He gets pulled in front of the Sanhedrin. He talks about the whole redemptive story and then he gets stoned for his faith. And that's the first Christian martyr in the Bible. A man who we are told primarily has a serving gift was still fully able to speak when he needed to, fully stood up to proclaim the word of God and he was stoned for it. God in his mercy shows us that so that we don't start making these rivalries. 
I'd say it has to be exactly true for someone like Paul, who was speaking most of the time, that we know that he's a tent maker. How did he provide for his living? Well, he made tents. I know that's maybe not a spiritual gift, but the idea that he was willing to serve, it's no, right? We just have to do whatever God tells us to and be thankful for the gifts he gives us. In the uh, book, uh, Leadership, the uh, author Don Cousins mentions in this area of serving. If you, if you haven't read the blue book, many of you, uh, it's hard to find the blue book. You can get the electronic version online. We've made a little summary of the booklet available for you. It's a good way to whet your appetite. He's got two chapters in here. Chapter four talks about the serving heresy. I believe it's chapter eight that talks about the blessing factor. I just want to highlight the three points he makes about the serving heresy because this is important for us when we're learning about using our gifts. The first heresy, he says, is some of us tend to believe that God needs our help. I tell you, he doesn't. God does not need us. He asks us, he, he offers us to serve with him because he wants to bless us. He doesn't need us. So please don't think that you're doing something as a favor to God. Good thing I'm on God's team. He needs me. He doesn't. But he invites you because he loves you. Second heresy, God wants a payback. Don Cousins mentions that for many people, it's easy to believe that I entered into a relationship with God because of Jesus' grace, but now I kind of feel that in order to maintain it, I got to do good works. And so it's, it's, it's twisting something that should be beautiful. Good works should flow from our lives because of a relationship with Christ, but it's not a payback, as if we could. And the final heresy that he highlights is uh, serving is doing something for God. There are verses that say, do everything as to the Lord. But the reality is that was when we serve, we're, we're called to serve others. We're obeying God by serving others. So we're not doing something for him as if he was, you know, asking us to, you know, feed him grapes. He's not that kind of God. He's asked us to serve others. Uh, Don Cousins makes a point. He goes, if you tie your service of God. If you think of your service, yeah, I serve him, I do this, I do this, I do this. If you tie your service to a particular act at a particular time in a particular place, if that's what you're serving God is, if people say, how do you serve God? Well, I teach Sunday school, I do this. If that's how you think of service, who are you serving when you're not doing that act? Hmm. Well, I got a lot of time on my hands where I'm not serving God then, is I? So serving is more about a lifestyle of surrender to God and living in his Holy Spirit. To look at the end of this passage that we were looking at, this is why Peter says, at least in this context, why it's important to use our gifts for God. Because so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We use our gifts to show grace to others with the end game that God will be praised. The person who gives the gift gets the gratitude, gets the glory. The person who gives the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Missed it. But it's always the giver who gets the glory. And actually, you know what? The, the phrase in here, better translated praise is glorified, that in all things God may be glorified. It's not just our voice, it's also our actions and our attitudes that bring glory to God. So we want to be mindful of that. And the last part of this verse says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Very suitable passage as we enter into communion. And the clock says, I can bless you with a little story. I was hoping I could do this today. 
I love this story. I'm wanting to read it forever. And the story is the tale of the three trees. And so uh, here we go. Enjoy. Once upon on a mountaintop, three little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. The first little tree looked up at the stars twinkling like diamonds above him. I want to hold treasure, he said. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I will be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. The second little tree looked at, looked at the small stream trickling by on its way to the ocean. I want to be a strong sailing ship, he said. I want to travel mighty waters and carry powerful kings. And I will be the strongest ship in the world. The third little tree looked down to the valley below where busy men and busy women worked in a busy town. I don't want to leave this mountaintop at all, she said. I want to grow so tall that when people stop and look at me, they will raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. And I will be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed, the rains came, the sun shone, and the little trees grew tall. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountaintop. The first woodcutter looked at the first tree and said, This tree is beautiful. It's perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the first tree fell. Now I shall be made into a beautiful treasure chest, thought the first tree. I shall hold wonderful treasure. The second woodcutter looked at the second tree and said, This tree is strong. It's perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the second tree fell. Oh, now I shall sail mighty waters, thought the second tree. I shall be a strong ship, fit for kings. The third tree felt her heart sink when the last woodcutter looked her way. She stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven. Woodcutter didn't even look up. Any kind of tree will do for me, he muttered. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the third tree fell. The first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought him to a wood carpenter's shop. But the busy carpenter was not thinking about treasure's chests. Instead, his work-worn hands fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. The once beautiful tree was not covered with gold or filled with treasure. He was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. The second tree smiled when the woodcutter took him to a shipyard, but no mighty sailing ships were being made that day. Instead, the once strong tree was hammered and sawed into a simple fishing boat. Too small, too weak to sail in an ocean or even a river, he was taken to a little lake. Every day, he brought in loads of dead, smelly fish. The third tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in a lumberyard. What happened? The once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was stay on the mountaintop and praise God. Many, many days and nights passed. The three trees nearly forgot about their dreams. But one night, golden starlight poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in the feed box. Her husband whispered. The mother squeezed his hand and smiled as the starlight shone on the smooth and sturdy wood. 
This manger's beautiful, she said. And suddenly, the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. One evening, a tired, tra tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat. The traveler fell asleep as the second tree quietly sailed out into the lake. Soon, a thundering and thrashing storm arose. The little tree shuddered. He didn't have the strength to carry so many passengers safely through the wind and the rain. The tired man awakened. He stood up. He stretched out his hand, and he said, Peace. And the storm stopped as quickly as it had begun. And suddenly the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the forgotten woodpile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry and jeering crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hands into her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning, when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew that God's love had changed everything. It had made the first tree beautiful. It had made the second tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. And that was better than being the tallest tree in the world. We're going to enter into our time of communion now. I'm going to ask the service to come forward. And I hope as you've read this, heard this story that you kind of reflect of the ways that God's ways are far above our ways. I hope you have dreams of how you want God to use your gifts. But you need to know that your circumstances don't dictate God's design for your life or God's pleasure in your life. God's ways are far above our ways. Our way is to trust that he's good and that he loves us and the gifts that he gives us will not be wasted even when we think they look like they are. He has a miraculous way of making his things come about. So please join with me in prayer as we enter into the communion table. Lord, today we come here humbly and we thank you that you have given us this way of remembering the beautiful work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. We come here and we acknowledge that without you, we are lost. Without you, we are stuck in our sin. Without you, we would live for ourselves. So Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you came humbly, that you came as a baby and lived out your life perfectly here on earth so that you could associate with us in all our temptations and yet never sin so that we could look to you as a person who is truly righteous and good the person that we want to be most like and the person we desperately want relationship with. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you reach out to us. And so today we thank you for this bread that symbolizes the body of Christ and what he did on our behalf. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.